Welcome to Wisdom Talk Radio, a collaborative community of explorers in conscious living. You know, as a podcast host, you just never know when you're going to meet your next guest or how. And on a cruise earlier this year to Eastern Europe, I met a woman whose deep roots in the theater led to quite a number of uh, sometimes late night intriguing conversations. (laughs) But no, she's not my guest today. (laughs) She introduced me to her longtime friend with equally deep roots in the theater and whose passion for what I would think of as, as freedom and truth led him on a lifelong quest into into embodiment and all of what that means. So listen in so that you can find out more about what that means. I'm Laurie Seymour, host of Wisdom Talk Radio and CEO and founder of the Baca Institute. The Baca Institute is the home of the Inner Guidance Mastery Blueprint. But head to the to the website to discover your quantum connection with your inner guidance by taking the quantum connection quiz. We're each designed to connect with source differently. And knowing your own style, your own way of doing that is the first step of aligning with your inner guidance at a deeper level than you ever thought you could. It's the secret to really to creating what you truly want in your life. My guest today is Philip Shepard who is the author of two books, Radical Wholeness and New Self, New World. And he's the co-author of his latest, Deep Fitness. He originated the Embodied Present Process, T-E-P-P, which is taught worldwide. The practices of T-E-P-P, and it may be TEP, we'll find out from Philip, um, help people recognize how their well-being is restricted by our disembodied culture. And I love that. And I'm so excited. We're going to get to talk about the personal and the cultural all all together. As those practices help people recover the intimacy of true presence, they soften into the fathomless intelligence of the body, reconnect with deeper purpose, and discover a new kind of freedom and peace in their lives. I just take a breath just reading that. Welcome, Philip Shepard. I'm really delighted that you are, uh, that, that I was introduced to you and that you agreed to come on to Wisdom Talk Radio. Well, uh, it is such a pleasure to be here with you, Lori, and uh, I'm so looking forward to getting into it with you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what happens. Yeah. So maybe this is a way to start to frame the conversation a little bit because you, you call our culture a a disembodied culture. And that's a pretty weighty phrase, I must say. Um, But it also gives us a way to begin to talk about what we want to talk about today. And and if you could share a little about what you mean by that and, and where we see it in, in the world. Yeah. Um, You know, another way of saying we are a disembodied culture is to note that we live in our heads, (laughs) Um, you know, and and it seems so obvious to us that the head is where the brain is. It's where you Mm -hmm. think it's where you see from and hear from. And and it all happens up in the head, except that it 
doesn't. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's a it's a sort of um, culturally learned pattern to restrict thinking to the head. Um, I think I think it's the overarching lesson of our education system is mm -hmm. to separate the thinking from the body and convince us that that true thinking only happens in the head. And, you know, you do that if 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 you can't control the body's restlessness as a youngster in class, you're punished. Mm -hmm. And if you can fill your head with the right answers, the the correct information, you're rewarded. And literally you emerge from that system with the belief that you can think more clearly if you restrict that thinking to your head and you dull yourself to all that noise mm -hmm. below the neck. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a gross misunderstanding of what our humanity is and what the nature of our intelligence is. And so, you know, it's, it's it, to appreciate the extent to which we are disembodied, mm -hmm. it helps to look at how long that journey out of the body has been taking place. Mm -hmm. And if you go back to 350 BC, when Plato was alive, in one of his dialogues, he, this very wise man, uh, the dialogue um, uh, is about... Uh, this man and and it's called Timaeus, his his uh, his take on the world. And somebody asks him, "How did the gods create us?" Mm -hmm. And this wise man responded, "Well, first they created this divine sphere based on the orbs of the heavens, and then they realized it wouldn't be able to get around, so they grew <laughs> it a vehicle, arms and legs and a torso. So there we are." 350 BC, and already we're living in our head. Already the head is felt as our divinest faculty, and the body is this mere vehicle. So, so the we are mired in a culture that takes disembodiment for granted to the extent that any leader of any organization is the head of that organization, and it's the mm. most natural thing to us. Mm. When you when you do a head count, you're counting how many people are here. When you do a body count, you're counting how many dead people there are. Wow. It goes, oh my goes on and on and oh. on. Um, mm -hmm. You know, why isn't the head of the church called the heart of the church in this yeah. institute, you know, devoted to love? Or the, we could call them the lungs of the church and the recognition mm -hmm. of spirit and breath. But no, no, no. In our culture, the head has to be in charge. And mm -hmm. we just habituate to that. That is brilliant. I, I, you know, I thought you were going to talk about the Industrial Revolution and, you know, the way in which things began as as our educational system changed in that way. You went so much further back than that and, and you framed look, you the look issue. At, yeah. And you look at uh, you, you, every washroom you walk into, <laughs> there's a body with a disconnected head. The head and the body are not connected. That's <laughs> That's the image in which we most clearly recognize ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's the same with all the Olympic sports, this disconnected head with the body beneath it. Anyway, mm. I, I could go on, but I think the points. <laughs> we, we got it. We got it, I think. So, but it, 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 that's such a meaningful and important conversation to have. 
because for me in my work, in my, in my life, <clears throat> excuse me, what I'm so aware of is the way in which we have to, if we're to connect with all there is, with that field of unlimited possibility, we really have to live through ourselves. I mean, that's how I think of it. We have to think with ourselves. We have to tune in with the whole of who we are, not a particular portion of who we are, which is what we've done with the head. So how does, how, do, well, you've talked a little bit about this, but maybe I think you, have a, you might have some more to say. How does that disembodiment impoverish our lives, both the personal and the cultural life? Um, the big topic, big question. Yeah, I mean, it is. Mm. And, you know, the simplest answer is we feel ourselves to be alone. Mm. Now, now, the body is our sensational bridge to the world. What the body most mm. deeply feels is the present. What the body most deeply understands is that it belongs I mean, when you stand before a tree and you feel its presence, you feel that affinity. You feel in this moment you belong to each other. The body understands that of the waves rolling in on the shore, of, of the bird song, of this cloud scudding through the heavens. It, mm -hmm. it feels its belonging to all of that. And you disconnect from the body and you retreat to this cubicle atop the neck mm -hmm. um, and you gaze out at the world the way we sit in our car and gaze at the world through the windshield and you feel alone. Now, aloneness is a fantasy. There is nothing in the universe that is alone. Everything is felt with a delicate sensitivity by everything else. Everything leans on everything. Everything attunes to everything. Um, the world feels you more intimately than you could feel yourself. But once you accept this premise that you are alone, there's this, it's like this domino effect that takes place. If, if you're alone then that means your experience is strictly private. It doesn't affect the world. Mm -hmm. Now, if your experience is strictly private, then your number one job in life is to organize it, to make it a success, to make it feel good. And so what we do is we take the spotlight of our attention and we turn it off the world, leaving the world and darkened, and we turn it onto ourselves. And we start to organize ourselves. And, you know, I think organization is the obsession of our culture. There's nothing we don't organize. We organize our thoughts. We organize our emotions. We organize our days. We organize our responses to life. And, I mean, there's a place for organization. But when, it, when it's an obsession, it's impossible to be present. Because, I mean, for me anyway, mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. quality of being present for me is the experience of feeling myself being organized by the present. It is informing me. It is coursing through me. I am attuning mm. to it. If I've, ah, if I've okay. taken charge okay. of myself mm -hmm. and I'm busy organizing it, I am immune to that larger field. Yeah, so you're immune, immune to, to, to the input. Yes, exactly. And, and what I've done is I've consigned myself 
to a life of self-consciousness because I've divided myself. My, mm-hmm. you know, that supervisor in the head is narrating and watching and organizing the body. I am, I go through life conscious of the self yeah. and that self-consciousness. I mean, we narrate our days. We spend most of our waking hours thinking about our own thoughts about the world rather than feeling Mm. the world itself. And in that self-consciousness, our primary relationship becomes the relationship between the divided parts of ourself. Mm. Not with the world around us, not with the whole that, that, that cradles us in its Mm. embrace, but, but this relationship between our divided parts. Well, it strikes me that that is the microcosm of what happens in the, in the greater world, because we're also, or maybe primarily so, we are, we are separating from the world. And that intense separation is what leads to all the experience of you are other, you are not me, therefore you are bad or wrong or dangerous. Yeah, and that separation from the world on that larger scale begins with the separation from the body, mm-hmm. right? I mean, our our primary relationship is our relationship with the body. I mean, there's nothing more primary than mm-hmm. that. And that then becomes the template for every other relationship in the world. Wow. So if you mm-hmm. if you feel yourself apart from the body and you're busy dominating it or controlling it or trying to mm-hmm. fix it or make it right, that becomes your relationship with, with the world around you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it then also becomes the relationship that you have with what could, what in my world is potentially where you connect with the inner guidance that the universe is offering to you is, you know, is making it available to you really in every single moment. Absolutely. So that, that sort of, brings me to my image, if you will, of what embodiment is. And I think there are two stages that embodiment goes through. And the first stage is feeling your flesh, Mm. you know, feeling the sensations down through your legs, feeling the, the breath as a wave that travels the whole of your body, feeling, you know, your true nature and your true nature is fluid you are 65 percent water and yet and yet we become brittle and hardened and your true nature is spacious because nature itself is spacious the the, the hardest you know diamond in the world is mostly empty space as are we and mm-hmm. and in disconnecting from our being, we disconnect from our true nature. We lose our center. We lose our relationship with the earth and we lose our attunement. So the first stage of embodiment is to begin to feel everything. And the body processes over a billion times more information than we can be consciously aware of. Mm-hmm. And you will never objectively extract that information but you can feel it that's the that first would be the way of what you talked about about organization trying to impose something on it yeah as if we could catalog how every breath interacts with every chemical in the body and good luck with that (laughs) (laughs) i have better things to do yeah yeah (laughs) And, and then the second stage of embodiment to me is once you have felt 
the flesh, once you have felt the body as a whole, then how to begin to integrate what is bound, what is buried, what is cast into shadow. And that, you know, as you integrate those em- those energies, the body becomes like a singing bowl. Mm. So this, what enables a singing bowl to ring is the spaciousness within it. Right. And our bodies are clotted with anxieties and resentments and, and shoulds and and we lose the spaciousness that enables us to stand in the world like the singing bowl mm-hmm. and resonate to it. I mean, if you fill a singing bowl with sand, it stops singing. Mm-hmm. And in effect, that's what we've done to the body. So all of the the questing that people go on, wanting to find, it's, it, people often talk about that in terms of purpose. Um the 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 great hero's journey it, whatever whatever way we want to speak about it it's just it strikes me that so often what people are doing are are trying to do that from the head trying to figure it out trying to figure out who am i really um trying to understand you know what wh- what's the meaning of life what pr- what's my purpose what am i supposed to be doing and all of that is is arising out of that separation and so yeah. you're turning that around and saying let's discover create um this, this the spaciousness yeah and and you know uh, uh in in my work anyway there's this belief that if you do not take into account the ways in which you have been programmed and neurologically shaped by your culture mm-hmm. your ability to extract from those influences or or liberate yourself from is diminished so mm. so our culture holds at its very center uh, uh, a complete fantasy that it takes as real. And that fantasy is the quality of independence. There's no such thing. You search the cosmos, you won't find one instance of independence. And yet, you know, we strive for it, we want it, and it's a, it's a tyrannical urge. Joseph Campbell characterized the tyrant of world mythology as the man of self-achieved independence. Mm. Well, that, that phrase is the American dream. Mm-hmm. Self-achieved independence. And, and we are, we're tugged by this mirage and lose our grounding in reality. And, and so, you know, when it comes to self-knowledge and the, the quest yeah. and all that, we, we have the illusion that self-knowledge sits deep within us. And if we can reach down, you know, sufficiently far and connect <laughs> with ourselves, we will discover who we are. And, and, and again, it's an image for me that is, grounded in 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 a, a, a miasma in a fantasy i i discover who i am by coming into felt relationship with the world as i watch a child play on a sidewalk and feel her presence I am illuminated in a particular way as I watch mm-hmm. a, a leaf drift to the earth from a tree. 
and feel that moment. I'm illuminated by it as, as I watch geese fly through the sky, orienting to the south, ready to migrate. I am illuminated. The more deeply I come into felt relationship with the world around me, the more deeply who I am is illuminated. I can't illuminate myself. I'm illuminated by the world. Okay, so I can't illuminate myself. I'm illuminated by the world. I just want to sit with that. I also want to, I want to underscore that. What is illumination? I don't see a big difference between illumination and awareness. When you bring something into the light of your awareness, it is illuminated. You know, my, my body can either reside in darkness and neglect, or I can feel, I can illuminate through my awareness, its currents and eddies and, and energies. So help me with this. So I'm, I'm, I'm taking that and I'm trying to bridge into that sense of how the world illuminates me because as I experience myself in in any number of immediate moments by by how by how the world is showing me who I am there is a it's not exactly cognitive, but there's another aspect to it. It's not merely a felt sense. It's an it's then an awareness of that felt sense. Yeah. So where so where where I go mm -hmm. um, is the meaning, the etymological meaning of our word consciousness. Mm -hmm. And again, our I think our notion of consciousness falls play to that. Um, black hole of independence that we mm -hmm. <laughs> that we cling to the etymology the root from which our word consciousness comes from is a latin word that means to be mutually aware if i am if i am conscious of a tree am i if i am fully aware of it i am entering a mutual awareness it's the and, relationship yeah, exactly and and we are feeling each other and its presence by being felt through my body is illuminating my awareness of my body, of my sensitivities, of my mm -hmm. connections, my relationships in a very specific way. Yeah. And you don't, and what I've noticed in, in, in reading your, your writings is that you, you're not separating the head from the body. You know, so many people try and do that. Well, no, no, that's in your head. And you got to get into your heart and you got to feel it with your heart and creating yet another separation. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, the way I feel it in my own body is there is this shining intelligence in the head and this deep, mysterious realm of intelligence in the pelvic bowl. And they are twins. They are lovers. They, they, the each supports the other. I mean, the, the intelligence in the head, the strength of that intelligence is in gaining perspective. I mean, you, it, it can uh -huh. gain perspective on so much, uh -huh. but the, the precondition of gaining perspective is distance. 
if you don't have distance from something. <laughs> perspective. Right. So there's value in distance in gaining mm-hmm. that perspective. But but the true value of a perspective is only realized once that perspective has been brought down through the body to be integrated to come into relationship with with the whole with your being mm. and then it comes into proportion and it's it's re, it's reborn as a sensitivity a ah. perspective mm-hmm. brought down through the body is reborn as a sensitivity otherwise it becomes a flattened sign yes yes it's two dimensional and it doesn't have the the life to it there now, sensitivity yeah. in our culture, um, as as all things female seem to be, has been <laughs> has been demeaned. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talk about people who are too sensitive, which I think is is folly. Uh, mm-hmm. There's no such thing as too much sensitivity. What it is is there's not the commensurate grounding to make mm-hmm. that sensitivity coherent. Yeah. But I, you know, I think I think our our story about our own intelligence, that intelligence is the ability to reason in an abstract fashion um, is, is a gross misrepresentation. And of course, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a definition of intelligence that has been provided by the realm that, that excels at, at abstract reasoning. I mean, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. a, so when I think- Yeah, it's, help, it's celebrating itself. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Flattering itself. And, you know, when I think of intelligence, sure, abstract reasoning is a part of it, but it's like one bandwidth on this massive spectrum. And when I go to name that spectrum, the first word that comes to my mind is sensitivity. I think any sensitivity is a form of intelligence. And you can have a sensitivity to a child's tears, to a dandelion, to the call of a, a loon over a lake. I mean, the, the, there, there are innumerable sensitivities and each one is a form of intelligence. But the thing about a sensitivity is it's necessarily reactive. So if the retina didn't react to light, we wouldn't see. Mm-hmm. So that reactivity has to become grounded in mm-hmm. order to become coherent. Mm-hmm. So to me, intelligence is grounded sensitivity. It's the quality of grounded sensitivity. And both of those qualities require the body. Both of those qualities are situated in the body, our groundedness and our sensitivity. Um, And we're very, very, very clever as a culture, but we have forgotten how to live intelligently. So there's something that I I took out of one of your books that I wanted to I didn't know if I was going to read or not, but I am um, because I it goes to this and it, it it for me, it's about the 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 aspect of that that whole being intelligence and really what more than the whole being, it's my my place in the world, the truth that I am not separate from anything. So for me, what I call that is creative intelligence and it's that universal intelligence of which I am. Not just a part of, of which I am. Absolutely. (laughs) So I I read this and I went, oh, let me, let me pull this out. These are your words. Um, I told you earlier, you were going to get inspired by yourself. (laughs) (laughs) 
Once the body's spaciousness is compromised, it loses its resonance. When its intelligence cannot quicken to the energies of the present, the present won't be felt. And then its guidance may as well not exist. And I want to come back to that. When you are cut off from the world's guidance, you are compelled to take on the endless task of guiding yourself. <laughs> Brilliant. So the isolated ego takes over and starts supervising, in quotes, a word that literally means watching from above. And that's that's what you were talking about, about the head, I'd say. As long as one's part of the self is supervising the other parts, you will be locked into division and out of wholeness. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so profound to realize that what we're what we're struggling with is so built into our culture, as you have pointed out, and that the way out, the way through that, the way back, if you will, I don't know if that's really right, is, is what our nature is, is how we were created. Absolutely. So in your work, can you speak a little bit about hmm, how this transitions, how, how we, how we, what we need to do to reconnect. I think, I think our reconnection with the body um, would change everything. Um, you know, the, the female side of creation has been, um, demeaned and exploited and subject to violence for thousands of years. Um, uh, uh, you know, I, I think you have to go back to the Neolithic revolution in Europe to find cultures that were focused around the mother. And, and if a culture isn't focused around the mother, then what in the world is it focused on? Um, so, so, you know, I really feel the intelligence in my head as the male pole of my consciousness and the intelligence in my pelvic bowl is the female consciousness mm -hmm. and and you know we we speak of that as the second brain i mean they've mm -hmm. discovered that the neurological density um there's a brain in the belly mm -hmm. that thinks and decides and remembers and acts um but it's our first brain. It's not our second brain. It is, mm -hmm. it is our foundation. Mm -hmm. And there are cultures around the world that, that honor that intelligence in the belly. The, um, there's a culture in Australia that recognizes the intelligence of the head, of the heart, and the belly. And they say, you know, the belly is the foundation. And they mm -hmm. speak of the intelligence of the head um, as a tangled fishing net. And be very careful if you're relying on that. Um, so then, you know, to me, that work of reclaiming your truth and your freedom and your presence in this world begins with bringing awareness back to the pelvic bowl. And we, you know, I work with people uh, and, and breath. I mean, the, the 
the pelvic floor in the body is a diaphragm. Mm -hmm. it, it, every bit as much as the thoracic diaphragm that we refer to as the diaphragm is, but the pelvic floor in our culture becomes locked up. Mm -hmm. And so the thoracic diaphragm is pumping away and, and there is stasis mm. in the pelvic floor diaphragm. Well, to begin to feel that release to the breath, to begin to feel the waves of life mm. that come with that, what you're recovering for me is the ground of your being. So I feel the pelvic floor as the ground of my being. When I come to rest in my in myself, it's to mm -hmm. the pelvic floor I return. When I, when I come to rest in the present, it's to the pelvic floor I return. But where there is no awareness, you don't have a place to land within yourself. And so you mm -hmm. stay in the head and go round and round and round endlessly. So, you know, if you think of a stroke victim mm -hmm. and he's lost use of his, of his right arm and the therapist says, pick up the pen. And he says, I can't. And she says, well, well, just, just concentrate, just try, pick up the pen. And bit by bit, he can sort of move the fingers a little, and then he can get a little grip on the pen. And, you know, eventually he picks it up without even thinking. Mm -hmm. We are facing that same task. We are all stroke victims. We have lost mm -hmm. the neurological pathways that bring us back to the center of our being, that let us rest within our bodies. Mm -hmm. And so the work to begin to feel the breath, to begin to feel the legs, to feel the breath through the legs, to feel the energy of the earth through the legs, to feel the, the awareness landing on the pelvic floor and dilating into the world like ripples on a pond to the outermost shore. Mm. You know, that's what, that's, that's what we face. And reconnecting in that. It's a, it's still not to the exclusion of any, it's, it's certainly not to the exclusion of anything else. So how does, how does that bridging happen as I reconnect with the pelvic floor, how does that bridge ha bridging happen into the heart and into the, the brain? That's such a good question. So I don't talk about the heart in my work much. Mm -hmm. And the reason is our culture understands the heart is important. And we send heart emojis and, and all the rest of it. But yeah. what we're trying to do is to go from the the head to the heart. Mm -hmm. And that leaves the heart vulnerable and unsupported and subservient to the head. So, you know, you go into a situation and, and the head remembers, oh, yes, I, sh I should open my heart here. And so <laughs> the heart, if it's not expressing your being, what is it expressing? Mm -hmm. And if it's not connected with the life of the pelvic bowl, it's not connected with your being. And so mm -hmm. I, I feel the heart mm -hmm. as the portal through which my wholeness meets the wholeness of the world. Yes. And it's almost like a flower and the stem of that flower drops down through the body and its roots are in the fertile loam of the pelvic bowl. And when my being responds to someone, to something, mm -hmm. that, that response finds its way up and through the heart naturally. I don't have to tell the heart <laughs> to open, right? It's the most right. natural thing in the world. Yeah. So that's the heart. As far as the connection between the 
head and the pelvic bowl, as you recover the spaciousness of the body, they come into relationship with each other, almost as though there were an axis or a spacious mm -hmm. corridor between them. And the head is so relieved to come out of its exhausted aloneness mm -hmm. and back into relationship. And those gifts of perspective just drop mm -hmm. so that so that the division between our thinking and our being, which has been sort of hardwired into us by our education system and by what's modeled in the world as we grow up, our thinking and our being come together and become one thing again. And if you go back to the Latin verb sentire, you find that it means both to think and to feel. They were one thing. Thinking and feeling mm. are one thing. Mm. So, so, you know, in English, we, we might say, you're not making sense. And what we're mm -hmm. saying is, your thoughts are muddled. <laughs> or I might say, I sense something's wrong. And you might say, I feel something's wrong. So our word sense comes from sentire. Mm -hmm. and, and both of those original meanings are preserved in it. That's but, but we live with this separation. So when I... You know, as those poles of my consciousness come into relationship, I am now thinking with the whole of my being. So every thought is felt resonating through the singing bowl of the body and is clarified mm. by being felt. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And similarly, every sensation in the body is recognized as a form of thought. I mean, I think, I think in its essence... A thought is the processing of a relationship. And you can do that in an abstract realm, mm -hmm. or you can recognize the body is doing that all the time. And so it's, it, you know, we've forgotten what it means to think with the whole of our being, to speak from the whole of our being, to mm -hmm. listen with the whole of our being. And, and that correlation, that unity, that exchange of gifts between those two poles of our consciousness bring us back into that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That was quite an answer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, the piece that I I'm just want to continue with is around the heart because I, I think of it as more than what most people think about, oh, it's important to open your heart and it's, that it's, it's so much more than about feeling. Actually, for me, it's not a, even about feeling. It's it is that portal, as you said. It's that portal to the world, but it's also that portal hmm, to that undifferentiated field of which everything is. That that field of undifferentiated energy that the physicists talk about. And so, if that is, I think of it really as my connection to presence, my connection to God, as I breathe in. I breathe in that intelligence, that the breath is intelligence. And so with that, it becomes, it's, I'm seeing it almost like that, um, that connecting portal between the brain and the pelvic bowl. I, I, I agree. And, and I think, you know, the, the way people, um, diminish the heart in their characterizations of it, we do the same with love. We think mm. love is an emotion. Love, for me, is our greatest genius. Yeah. 
And I'm thinking of, of George Washington Carver, the, the um, American um, botanist who, uh, of, of African ancestry, who was not formally trained, mm. but could like understood plants um, with a depth that, that no regularly trained botanist of the time could approach. And somebody asked him, how is it that you, that you can understand these plants so well? And his response was, if you love something enough, it will speak to you. Mm. And it's like, there it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that, I mean, that is supported by the, by the heart and the heart is supported by the whole of our being. And I think if, if, if the heart isn't supported by the whole of our being, it, it suffers. Wow. I I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about my father who died of a heart attack and, Mm. you know, and I mean, this was many, 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 many years ago, but I'm feeling that sense of how important we have such heart, so much heart disease in the world. What is that about? Oh, it's that, that separation, that disconnection. Yeah. And so yeah, boy, I I don't want to say we are, you know, running out of time because I there's a couple of things I want to talk about. Um and I'm choosing. <laughs> so I, I I want to talk about balance a little bit because um if balance to me is that sense that works from the inside out. And you talk about balance as that sense that's not one of the primary five senses that comes from the outside in. And I love that because it, it really speaks to how we are in relationship to the whole. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, you know, um, I, I find it interesting that we have validated these five senses that all preserve our feeling of being independent from the world. <laughs> it's like light crosses mm-hmm. the boundary of the self and lands on the eye or sound crosses the boundary of self and lands on the eardrum. And all of our senses are like, I'm in here and the world is out there and I'm, there's a boundary that, that is crossed and the, mm-hmm. I get information from the world and mm-hmm. balance of course is, is untenable. It, it dissolves that, that sense of independence because it is a felt relationship and and the the acuity with which you can feel the center of the earth i mean if you're standing and you feel that center and you shift a quarter of an inch to one side you feel it mm-hmm. it's such a clear thing and there's a culture in africa the anglo eve that that honor balance as as probably the most important sense in their culture. And, you know, we, we have a sense organ devoted to balance. We speak of, of, of having a good sense of balance, but we don't recognize it as a sense. And it's, it's, a it's way down the list of our mm-hmm. priorities. And, and we have, we have compromised our ability to come into balance with the whole and uh, with the world around us. And I think, you know, what we what we do is we confuse order and harmony. And for me, they are opposites. Order is the result of an abstract system being imposed on on some phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Harmony is what happens in an organic whole when every part of that organic whole yields without resistance to every other part. And I'm thinking of uh, 
murmuration of starlings, those mm. clouds of like a quarter of a million birds rippling and uplifting and swooping. And it's, it's like watching an amoeba in the sky, but mm -hmm. that harmony is exquisite. And, and the balance that harmony speaks of is something we have exiled ourselves from mm -hmm. by, by contracting within the body as though we were independent from all that is. Mm. Wow. I feel like we've just begun. <laughs> Scratch the surface. <laughs> not even, not even. <laughs> yeah, because it's such an old, old, old story and we have layers and layers and layers of habituation and conditioning that lead mm -hmm. us to feel ourselves and see the world in, yeah. in a way that is in the end, I think, toxic. Well, sometime I would love to have you come back and, and talk about it, it, your vision of and what we can bring of, of what we can bring into the cultural conversation. I would jump in, at the chance. Yeah, <laughs> in order to in order to make the shift that yeah. we see as possible. Yeah. And more than possible, of course, needed. But, you know, I really do see it as possible. Because this is too. what we're, how we're, how we're constructed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And our deepest gifts are going unnoticed, unrecognized. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Philip Shepard, thank you so much for the way in which you have mm, considered all of this so deeply, have studied it, have lived it, have brought it into such being, such beautiful being. I can't tell you what a pleasure it's been sharing this with mm -hmm. you and and feels like walking hand in hand into some great forest. Really. And I can't wait to see the leaves just. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you again. Oh, before. No, no. I do want to. How can people find you? It will be in the show oh. notes. But if you wouldn't mind putting that into the the this portion oh, of I, it, I'd, I'd love to talk really briefly about that. I've got a website, um, embodiedpresent.com. Mm -hmm. And I go around the world teaching workshops and and giving retreats and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, sharing this work in person Um is is such a privilege mm -hmm. and you know for those who can't come in person there are lots of offerings um like a, a membership for 20 dollars a month you get practices and journaling prompts and a zoom call with me and a zoom call with a facilitator so there are two zoom calls a month and mm -hmm. like like we are in the process of remembering and we need help to remember it has to be like a like a drip feed of remembrance and that's mm -hmm. what the membership provides is these constant reminders that bring us mm -hmm. bring us home bring us home yeah yeah thank mm -hmm. you thank you thank you again now we'll we'll say an official thank you and until next time until next time indeed and thank you to our audience for being with us here at wisdom talk radio today You've, you've had a treat. And join us here regularly for more wisdom, discovery, and illumination. And remember, you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. All your favorite places is where we are. And if you've enjoyed listening today, please leave us a review. Because when you leave a review, what that does is it alerts other people to say, hey, there's something special here. 
And that's how this kind of wisdom and transformational energy gets out into the world. And for more about deepening your connection with your inner guidance, take the Quantum Connection Quiz now. Thanks for joining us here at Wisdom Talk Radio. We wish you well in your conscious explorations. For more information and to join in the conversation, our website is wisdomtalkradio.com or at Wisdom Talk Radio on Facebook.